<laughs> thank you, Russ. Good morning. So good, great to be with you, and uh, want to thank you in person for your prayers and support of our ministry. Uh, we're having a blast down there, seeing men come to Christ and grow in the Lord is such a great blessing, and uh, I really am very, very thankful to be there. I'd like to open with a little uh, email I got here I thought was kind of cute. It says, one day a, a cat died of natural causes and went to heaven. And there he met St. Peter at the pearly gates and said to the cat, you, you know, you have lived a good life. And uh, if there is any way that we can make your stay here in heaven more comfortable, um, please let me know. Well, the cat thought for a moment. He says, you know, all my life um, I've lived with a, four, a poor family. I've slept on a wooden floor and... And say no more, St. Peter replied, and, and poofed, a wonderful fluffy pillow appeared. A few days later, six mics were killed in a tragic farming accident and went to heaven, and there was St. Peter to greet them with the same offer. The mice answered and said, you know, all of our lives we've been chased, and we've had to run from cats, dogs, even women with, with, women with brooms. We're tired of running. Do you think we could have some roller skates? so that we don't have to run anymore. Instantly, each mouse was fitted with roller skates. About a week later, St. Peter stopped by to see the cat found him snoozing on the pillow and woke him up. And uh, he said, so how are things going for you since you came to heaven? And the cat, you know, yawned, he stretched, he said, oh, oh this, is, this is way better than I could have imagined. And those, wheels, those meals on wheels, those, <laughs> those are the best. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get much better than that. You know, uh, scriptorians are at odds with uh, this question here. They, the question is asked, how old was, a was Isaac when Abraham was called to offer him as a sacrifice unto the Lord? And again, they're, they're, they're at odds. They don't, you know, most of them are saying, well, he's either got to be 12 years old and under, or he's got to be 20 years old, maybe 20 to 32 years old. It's got to be one or the other. One thing's for sure, they all agree, he cannot be between 13 and 19 years old because then it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. <laughs> no, just, just kidding, teenagers. We love you, really. We do. We were once there. Once was there. Been there, done that. All right, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 17 through 22. And I'm just going to confess right out here, right now, that as I was looking at my message this morning at the table with my coffee and bagel, there it lies at the table with an empty coffee and a plate. And so we're going to do this off the cuff here. But I, I, I know this message pretty well, and, and uh, it was a blessing. Basically... It is entitled, Building Something That Will Last. You know, let me just preface by saying, when I was growing up, uh, you know, with my mom and dad, and I had a brother and a sister, when I was about 10 years old, I remember my mother and dad bringing us into the living room to tell us that Nana Monjo, my mother's mother, had passed away. And they told us, they called us over and said, Children, we need to tell you something. Nana Monjo has passed away. Nana Manjo has died. Nana Manjo is not going to be with us anymore. And sure enough, 
she was gone from the scene. We never saw her again. And it was only about a year later that, again, they called us together again and said, Children, we need to tell you that Papa Kroos has passed away. Papa Kroos has died. Papa Kroos is not going to be with us anymore. Did we forget to um, let the children go to church? Is, is any, any young children here? Any? <laughs> that might have been my call. Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, they called us again into the room and told us, you know, children, we need to tell you, Papa Kroos has died. Papa Kroos is not going to be with us anymore. And sure enough, we, again, we never saw him again. And it was only months later, they called us into the room again and said, Children, Nana Kroos has passed away. Nana Kroos has died. Nana Kroos is not going to be with us anymore. And I'm about 11 years old at that time. I'm 11, my brother's 10, my sister's 7. And it suddenly dawned on me, as I thought about it at this tender age of 11 years old, that that meant to me at 11 years old, I'm thinking one day that means one day Danny Kroos ain't going to be around anymore. And I began wondering, ever since I was 11 years old, what then is the meaning to life? What is the meaning to life? You know, certainly there's got to be a reason. I mean, now here I was, 11 years old. I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, listen, I didn't even ask to be born. And they tell me, you're going to die. And again, I, I, I was plagued with this question. I said, there's got to be... There's got to be something more to this. There's got to be something else. I mean, why, do people, why are people born, you know, live 80, 90, maybe 100 years, and then they, that's it? There's got to be something else. There has to be. There has to be. But I just didn't know what it was. And in school, they had taught us that there was this big explosion. There is no God. And we came from monkeys. And I, I just couldn't believe that. I said, that's crazy. I don't, that's a, you know, if we came from apes, why aren't they still changing into people today? You know? I mean, what's up with that? You know, I, I just never could, that, that just, I, even as a non-Christian, I just could never really buy the story of this big explosion in us coming to, you know, uh, through apes and stuff. I mean, I see explosions every day in Iraq, and, you know, the things, the things are all over the place. Everything's in disarray. You know, this explosion here, we got nine balls spinning around perfectly. You know, the earth is spinning around at a 32-degree axis and spinning around exactly 24 hours a day and going around the sun exactly 365 one-quarter days a year. And, and I, you know, I, you don't see that in any explosions on TV. You know, there's stuff all over the place. There's no, uh, nothing in order. Everything's in disarray. So I just never really could buy that. And uh, thank God that he would reveal that to me later on in life. Um, they didn't give you a Bible in school, but thank God they gave us one in jail. And Jesus answered a lot of those questions. But again, I was looking, there's got to be something that lasts. And I want to look at this passage here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It is, comes right after Jesus is tempted 40 days in the wilderness, by, led by the Spirit up to be tempted by the devil and so forth. And right after that, he begins his ministry at about the age of 30. And the first words out of his mouth are in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
And they immediately left the nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Again, as, as we look at this passage and as Jesus begins his ministry here on earth, well, again, when we're talking Jesus, we are talking God. Can I get an amen or a nod? God, him, this is a time when God came down, entered into space and time, and revealed himself to the world. That's the why Jesus came. Two reasons. One was to reveal himself to the world, and number two was to ultimately go to a cross to take our beaten, to shed his blood, so that our sins would be paid for. And so when he comes down, and he lives, you know, is born of the Virgin Mary, you know the story, and he, he again begins his ministry at about the age of 30. He says these words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why would he say the kingdom of heaven is at hand to anybody? This is not hot. He's a king. Amen. Thank you. You cannot have a kingdom without a king. Can I get an amen? You've got to have a king. All right? The king comes down. He reveals that. And we're talking not just a king. We're talking the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The king himself has arrived. And he says these words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, another word, uh, interesting word, this word repent um, as you know, the New Testament is written in Greek, and as we look to um, translate the words into English, we, we take this Greek word, metanoia, we, we translate it in English as repent, and again, some people have an idea of what that means, but I think over the years we've lost it. A lot of people are kind of clueless, they're wondering, and they've got these different answers. In fact, let me just throw it out. You know, if I was to ask you, what does it mean to repent, what would you say? Turn around. Change, I like that. You know, there's, there's, see, we don't have one really word for that, but I can give you a sentence what it means. And those change and turn around are in there. In fact, I stole this from uh, our brother back there. I asked him one time what it meant, and he says, to walk in the opposite direction. And I said, boy, that's good. That is good. That is very good. See, because the Bible does tell us that we all like sheep have gone astray. So we're, we're far away from God. And sooner or later the light comes on and, and we, turn, we can turn around, but we're still far away from God. Can I get an amen? amen. You know, so, so the, this repent thing, it's, it's, yeah, turn around, but keep moving. Keep moving, because God wants you to come to me. Come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. So that's good. But the best one that I found was off my um, teacher's doctrinal statement, uh, and it was this. And if you've got a pen, this is worth writing down. If you want to know what it means to repent, something that your Lord and King has commanded, it means this, to have an inward change of mind that results in an outward change of behavior. Again, can I get a nod or an amen? Let me say it again. To have an inward change of mind that results in an outward change of behavior. 
That's pretty much what has to happen if we're going to repent. That's pretty much what I teach at the jail, what I was taught and what I continue to teach. Repent. Repent. You know, that's what Jesus taught us. That's what I still teach to this day. It was taught me as an inmate 22 years ago. And, um, you know, you've got, you got to repent. How many are familiar with jailhouse religion? Anybody? You know what? Does anybody heard that term? What are we talking about, Rich? Jailhouse religion. And then it's right back to living like the devil again. You know, basically jailhouse religion. It's a term where people find Christ in jail, but they go out and they're right back on the drugs and drinking again. I mean, that doesn't happen all the time. If it did, I'd get out of this real fast. But some people that do that, and that's the term that has come up. And that would probably be the second biggest problem in America. Probably be the second biggest problem in America. Thank you. I'm glad you asked. Uh, the first would be church house religion. The first would be church house religion. Where the only time people get alone with God is one hour a week on Sunday. It's the only time they open the Word and let God speak to them is one hour a week on Sunday. Let me just ask, if you were married and you only talked to your wife one hour a week, how long do you think that relationship would last? Yeah. <laughs> that had to come from Rick. I, I, I <laughs> but basically, yeah, we were created to have a relationship with God. And those of us that have, where the light has come on, we, we have an inward change of mind. It's resulted in an outward change of behavior. And we have a relationship with God. There's nothing better than that. You know what we used to learn in jail? The chaplain used to teach us no Bible, no breakfast. Can you say that with me? No Bible, no breakfast. I've been doing that for 22 years. Every day, without fail. I mean, I can even thank God for the coffee and toast and, and even take a bite, but then it's, where's my Bible? You know, it's, it's just in me now. And that's how we, we spend time every morning. And I find it's a great time, a great way to do it is before the kids get up, before the phone starts ringing, before everything starts happening, because I think God deserves first place. Can I get an Amen. You know, that's pretty much what happens. And so we repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, the king has come. He's revealed himself. What I want you to learn about this kingdom of heaven, which, which I really love, is we're going to take a trip in the Old Testament for one second. Uh, in the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And there's a little passage in here that I thought was very interesting. In Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, Daniel has a vision. And in this vision, he writes down what he sees. And it's pretty interesting what happens. Again, in Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, we read, Daniel says, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Now, who might that be, the Ancient of Days? God, God the Father, amen? The Ancient of Days takes his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and his hair, the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were standing before him. The court sat and the book, books were opened. 
Jump down to verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. You know, I'm not a history buff, but um, I know enough to know that there have been plenty of kingdoms. They've come and they've gone. But this one will have no end. This one is forever. It begins in the here and now. In a spiritual sense, we all bow down to the King. We all serve Him. And one day in the Millennial Kingdom, when He's here on earth, and then forever and ever, thus will it always be. So again, the call was repent for the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. This is something that will never end something that will last forever and ever. And as he walks by the Sea of Galilee, again, he sees these two brothers, and he calls them. Now, this is not the first time that he's run into Simon and Andrew, nor John and James. We read that in the book of the Gospel of John, that they've already encountered them. They've already talked to them. But now he calls them. There's a time when God calls a person. Sometimes it's directly... Sometimes it's indirectly or over a period of time. Mine would be the, the, the latter. It was over a period of time. It was indirectly. Um, but I'll, I remember it. I remember it. When I was saved in jail and I opened the Bible for the first time at the age of 28 and, and read the Gospels and realized I was a sinner and embraced Christ, you know, my life changed. I had an inward change of mind. It resulted in an outward change of behavior. All of a sudden, I didn't want to smoke cigarettes anymore. I don't want to drink. I don't want to do drugs. I don't want to swear. I don't want to fight. I don't want to hurt nobody anymore. I like this idea of love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I kind of liked, I liked that. I was tired of hurting people. I was tired of hurting myself. I was tired of hurting God. And I had this inward change, and it, it changed me. And I remembered um, I did a lot of Bible lessons in, in jail, and I grew in the Lord. And when I got out, I found a good Bible-believing church. I remember the chaplain, the first words out of it. I remember he said as I was leaving, the first, word, first words he said, he said, when you get out, find a good Bible-believing church. And I said, well, how will I know? And he said, well, you go into the church. If they're preaching the Bible, you stay. If they're not, get up and leave. And so I went to a couple of churches where I had to get up and leave. I mean, they didn't open the Bible at all. So I found this one church, Baptist Church in Holbrook, and I went there and got involved. And um, there were a lot of different ministries you could be involved in, and I was involved in a lot of them. I just loved going there. I went there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday prayer meeting, Thursday Bible study, Saturday work. I mean, I was always, I just loved being around people that loved each other, you know. It was the greatest thing that ever happened. And what I did was I went back on the iron, and I was an iron worker. I connected the, you know, the big skyscrapers in Boston. 
You ever seen those nuts running around slapping the beams together? That's what I did. I ran around on the eye. I, I liked it. I was good at it. And, and I did that. And I remember going back up there. And as you top off, after you hang all the iron, you know, the last piece goes up with the tree on it. Everybody signs the beam. You know, then you go back and stuff the rest of the holes. You know, when you hang the iron, you just put one bolt on each side. You cut it loose. You go do another one. You just land. They're all dangling up there. And then you go back and stuff all the rest of the holes while you're waiting for another job. I remember sitting up there, stuffing the holes, spinning the nuts, looking around, and you can see for miles, there's a beautiful scenery up there, uh, you know, in Boston, uh, 60 stories up. It's cold, there's nothing blocking the wind. You can have four or five sweatshirts on while people on the ground got no shirt on. And uh, I remember looking down on the ground, though, one day, and there was thousands and thousands of people. They looked like ants. And I remember looking around at them and saying, Lord... I wonder how many of these people are saved. And the answer was, not many. See, Jesus, well, let's turn there. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 while we're in Matthew. Uh, and look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Jesus says these words. As he's concluding his Sermon on the Mount, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, in verse 13 of chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those that enter therein. And then verse 14 says, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those that find it. And as I was sitting on the eye and I was thinking about that, I mean, I'm looking at all these people and I'm thinking words of Scripture. You know, God is, the Holy Spirit is bringing to remembrance the things I learned in the Bible. When Jesus would look upon the multitudes with compassion and see them as a sheep without a shepherd. And that many are on this broad road that leads to destruction. And here I was sitting on the iron, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I graduated high school, but I, I made it through the dummy program, you know. I wasn't the brightest bulb on the tree. That's why me and Russ are so much alike. <laughs> you forgot that part, Russ. <laughs> but uh, I, I made it. I did get a diploma. And, um, and I remember looking at all these buildings that I had built. I had built that skyscraper over there and that skyscraper and that one. And then I read the back of the book. Has anybody read the back of the book? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. For the old one will pass away. See, pretty much nothing lasts. Nothing lasts except the kingdom of heaven. That is forever. Everything else is temporary. Everything else you see can be here today, gone tomorrow. We are but a vapor. And so... I'm looking at all these buildings I built and realize one day God's going to level this place. And everything I built will be for naught. And again, the question was, what then is the meaning to life? What is the meaning to life? There's got to be a reason why we're here. And again, God, God's got all the answers in the Bible. He created us to have a relationship with us. And even though we went away, like we all in sin went away from Him, He went, came down, took on flesh, bled and died on the cross so that whosoever believing in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a good deal, folks. 
it will never get any better than that. That there is a meaning to life. There is a reason we're here. It's to have a relationship with Him. And this is not it. This is just, we're just camping out right now. Pretty soon the lights are going to go out and we will enter into eternity. Basically the lights are going to go out, we're going to become like the elevator. We're either going up or down. And thank God for Jesus Christ. He bled and died for what? Some of our sins, many of them, most of them? All of them, amen. That whosoever believing in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a meaning to life. There's a reason why we were born. There's a hope in life. There's a purpose for each and every one of us. And so I remember telling God on the eye in there, I said, you know, listen, Lord, I, I know the way to life. I know that Jesus bled and died for my sins. I know that I have eternal life. I know that if I was to die today or even do the whole 90, 80, 100 year bid, whatever, I know where I'm going because my sins have been paid for. Jesus bled and died. So I know the answer, but a lot of these people do not. And so I told him on the eye and I said, Lord, if you can use me, I would like to build your kingdom. Because it'll be something that will last. And I remember saying that to God. But the next day was another day. And of course we forgot all about it. And the next day was another day. And we went on and hanged more iron. And it was months and months later on another job in the Heinz Auditorium in Boston. I was doing that job and a big load of steel came in. A bunch of iron beams and girders and and they basically, the crane just scoops them up with these two wire ropes. We call them chokers. They just scoop up a whole bunch of them, about 15 ton. And then they swing it over into where the building is. And you drop it down on a couple of sticks, a couple of pieces of wood, dunnage. And it comes down, they drop it, and then the truck goes, and you sort it out and hang it. So as it was dropping down, as the load was coming over and getting ready to drop down, I noticed the wire rope that it was holding, uh, holding the beams there it was going to hit a piece of the wood and we wouldn't be able to pull the wire rope out because it would be stuck on the wood underneath. So I put my hand on the load to push it away, put, give it a little push so it will land and we can get the wire rope out. And as I was doing this, my partner on the other side is signaling the crane down low. And so as I pushed, he signaled down low and it hit. It went down. Now when it hits the wood, one or two things happen. It either rolls in or it rolls out. On this occasion, it rolled in while my hand was on top. I heard a crunch. I felt a sharp pain. I ripped my hand out, and I saw this blood coming down my glove, and I thought for sure I have just cut my thumb off. I was convinced it's gone. So the ambulance arrives, and I slowly slide the glove off, and it's still on, but it's crushed. It's mangled. It's uh, it's just on for looks, really. And um, I go to the Mass General Hospital, and... I'm waiting there with these ice pack after ice pack after ice pack, and it goes boom, ba boom, ba boom. And some per- some person's leaving the hospital, gets hit by a car, and all these doctors are out front of the hospital trying to help this person who just got hit by a car. So I'm sitting there for three hours. So finally, this young Japanese intern arrives, and he brings me in, and he looks it over, and he shoots me up, and he starts working on it. And after about 10, 15 minutes, he said, "You know, we've amputated your thumb." And I said, "Oh." So I sat there thinking about it. I said, oh, boy, you know, oh, well. 
I'm thinking about it. And the more I thought about it, I, I said, you know, gee. So you really couldn't save it, huh? He said, well, we could try. I said, well, try! What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? Is it, you know, and he... <laughs> He says, he says, you know, listen, it's badly infected. It's badly infected. The infection is set in. And he says, here's what I'll do. He says, I'll put it back together. I'm going to make a cast with a hole in the top. And I want you to look at that hole hourly. Because if it starts to get dark, that means gangrene set it, and you're going to lose a lot of that and more. I said, okay, all right, well, let's, let's try. So he puts it back together. And it's there for look. So I go to therapy for two years, Mass General Hospital, three days a week. Squeeze the clay, do this with tears in my eyes, and I'm determined. I'm going back on iron because I am an iron worker. I can do anything with a piece of iron. I can slap it together. I can burn it, cut it. I can hang it. I can run on it. I can. That's what I am, and I got to do it. And I'm so I'm doing it, doing it, doing it. It's just not happening. I'm squeezing with tears in my eyes. Is it okay? Yeah, it's okay. I can do it. And after about two years. I realized what they had been telling me. You need to start thinking about a different trade. You need to start thinking about a different trade. So finally, the news came. You know, it's not happening. So I was, remember, um, during this whole time, I was going to the church. And I was there all the time. I just love being in the church. I love being around Christians, people that love each other. And uh, it's just so much different from the way I grew up. Ain't it, Russ? And... Uh, so I'd do anything. I mean, you know, I'd show up. Guys mowing lawn. Excuse me, I'll mow the lawn, you know. Guys painting over there. Let me see. I'll paint. You know how to paint anyway. Let me see how to paint. You know. And I did anything and everything I could in church. Go visit a nursing home. Go to the hospitals and visit people. And I just loved it. And so I remember someone saying, Danny, I heard you're not going back on the island. I heard you days over. So yeah. He said, uh, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. And I said, but you know what? I really like serving God. I want to serve God. And so he said, well, do you get an education? I said, well, I finished high school. He said, no, no. He said, have you been to college? I said, no. He said, well, there's a scholarship out there for guys that have done time. And uh, I want to encourage you to apply for that. So I listened and prayed about it, and uh, I applied, and lo and behold, was accepted. And I, I went to Wheaton College, and I studied Bible and theology for four years. And um, while well, I was in my sophomore year, the chaplain that I had in the jail was a very, very close friend of mine. I always called him with questions about what I was learning and so forth. And he called me up and said, um, you know, they built a new jail back here in Massachusetts. I said, really? He said, yeah, it's four times as big as the old jail, and uh, they want me to go on full time. I said, no kidding. I said, that's great. He says, yeah, but I can't do it. I said, why? He said, well, I have a church on the outside. I've got a business. I've been just doing it part-time for 20 years. I can't do this full-time. Besides, the kids are young gangbangers now. We need some young blood in here. In fact, I, that's what I called to pray about. I want you to think about coming back here and being the chaplain when you finish school. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll pray about that. Because I had no idea what I was going to do. All I know is I want to serve God. I don't know if I'm going to be a pastor, teacher, missionary. I, if God said Africa tomorrow, we would have left. So we were praying, and lo and behold, I graduate, and... All the doors open, and I walk back in to the very jail that I got saved in as, as the chaplain 11 years ago. I uh, raise my own funds. I'm faith-funded, and, uh, and God provides, and I get to help a lot of people turn around. And I build the kingdom of God behind the walls. And I see some godly men come out of there. Rich is seeing it, too, now. Uh, Rich has helped me out a couple of days a week, and... Hopefully one day full-time. We're going to help raise his funds, so uh, pray about that. But he's doing a great job. The guys love him. The guys love him because basically most of the people I minister to 
their, their grade level that they've completed, their, the median grade level is about eighth grade. That's why they're in jail. You know, they're not, they're not too bright. They do some dumb things. And so you're, they're people that have gotten old, but they've never grown up. You know, young people, listen, listen carefully. Stay in school because these guys made mistakes. And when they were 16, 17, 14, 15, they said, well, I know it all. I don't need to go to school anymore. And, and then they get in trouble and end up in jail. So make sure you finish school. It's not an option. You've got, you got to stay in school. And, um, and that's what happened. So my calling was over a period of time. But again, in this account where Jesus calls these people, he says, follow me, I will make you fishes of men. They immediately leave, just like that. Let me give you a more detail of this account in Luke, if you would. Turn to Luke. By the way, what time do we stop so I don't go too far here? Soon, and very soon, <laughs> we will see the Lord. All right, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Here is a more detailed account, which I like. Because the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, again, there are so many parables that Jesus says about this. It is so precious that one would leave or give anything for it. Jesus gives parable after parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sought fine pearls. And when he saw this one pearl of great price, he went and sold all his pearls, everything, sold everything, and went and bought that pearl because I've I got to have that. That's how precious the kingdom of heaven is. Again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who was passing through a field one day and saw some earth disturbed, kicked it, moved it open, this box, and it was full of gold. He closed it, covered it back up, saw the land was for sale, went and sold everything and went back and bought this land. The kingdom of heaven is something that is so precious one would give everything, everything for it. In this passage here in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is pe preaching by this lake of Gennesaret. In verse 2, he sees two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, uh, you know, Master, um, you know, we worked hard all night. Uh, there's nothing, they're not biting, you know. But nevertheless, because you asked me, I'll go out. He goes out, he lets down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, so much so that the nets began to break. And they signaled for their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish they had just taken. And also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left some things, most things. They left everything. 
See, all of a sudden, veteran fishermen realized fish are not important. Neither are the boats and neither are the nets. But the kingdom of heaven is forever. How you doing? You know, I know not everybody, God, not, God doesn't call everybody to be a preacher in a jail, but, but I'll tell you, there are many ways to build the kingdom of heaven here on earth. I know your church has a lot of ministries. And what are you doing to build the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven? What are you doing? I encourage you to pray and get involved in your church some way, somehow. Because we want to store, we, you know, we came in naked, we're leaving naked. Can I get an amen? amen? You know, you'll never see a U-Haul behind the hearse, you know. It's, 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 you know, let me just make sure you understand, everything stays here. You know, I heard this very, very wealthy man died a few uh, years ago, very wealthy, and his relatives and friends and like vultures all get, what is, how much did he leave? How much, how much did he leave? And the pastor walked over and said, he left it all. He left it all. It all stays here. But you can store up treasures in heaven as treasures on earth are laid down. Can I get an amen or a nod? That's what it's all about. This, this kingdom is forever. Everything else is temporary. You know, uh, I just want to close with a little poem that I found. I thought it was really cute. It talks about a guy entering heaven. You know, one day, those of us that have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're going to see him face to face. We're going to be in heaven one day. It's going to be great. You know, there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more sin. God himself wipes away every tear. You know, it's a beautiful place. But listen to this story this guy wrote about this man who walked into heaven. It's called Heaven's Door. He walked in and he he says, uh, I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered Heaven's Door. Not by the beauty of it all, its lights or its decor. But it was the people in Heaven that made me sputter and gasp. The thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, the trash. And there was the third grade bully who stole my lunch money twice. Beside him, my next door neighbor who never said anything nice. And there was old Freddy who I thought was rotting in hell, sitting on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus. I, I said, uh, hey, what's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so somber, so quiet? Give me a clue. He said, hush, my child. They're all in shock. No one ever thought they'd see you. (laughs) How do you get in? By the grace of God. How are we saved? By faith through grace. By grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I urge you and I plead, do that today. 
Because if you don't have them, the Bible says you will enter this Christless eternity, this place called hell. And it's pretty bad. There's little depictions in here, pictures that are not pretty. But you don't have to go there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believing in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you. We praise you. We love you. We worship you. We adore you. There is no one like you. Nobody comes close. Thank you for coming down for revealing Yourself to us and for going to a cross to pay for all our sins. Thank You, Lord. Again, if someone here does not know this, Lord, I pray You would reveal Yourself to them right now. Open their eyes and help them see that their only way out of this world alive is through Jesus Christ. To live forever with You where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, and God Himself wipes away every tear from every eye. Lord, I do thank You for this church and their faithful proclamation of the Gospel, the good news that their sins have been paid for through Jesus Christ our Lord. In His name we pray. Amen. Well, let's further respond to the word of the Lord. Would you please take the uh, celebration hymnal, the red hymnal in front of you? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Do that.